This is David Bateson, the voice of Agent 47, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 72 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, February 28th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we discussed EA shifting its mentality on single-player games, Anthem getting the final nail in its coffin, more free games are on the way, and Outrider's impressions continue to be mixed on the demo thus far. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I want to offer words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are a bit vague for understandable reasons, I think. Uh, recently, a gaming community that I am a part of has lost a member of its own to COVID-19, and it is weighing heavy on lots of people's hearts. People have uh, canceled content that they were making, people have decided to step back from social media platforms and recuperate and recover. And in that light, I have found a renewed strength to a lot of people saying kind words privately to each other, watching public discourse on the various topics that affect those who uh, have suffered losses or are suffering losses during this pandemic. And we're approaching March, which is over a year or just about to be a year, I should say. Uh, into the pandemic in the United States and worldwide, and I know that a lot of people are suffering, and I know we've lost people close to us, people that are in our outer circles, inner circles, and they have unique effects on us that are not you know, present and evident right away. But the words of kindness this week go to all of those of you who are, are doing your best to support and uplift others, and those of you who are allowing yourself to be uplifted and supported by others. It's very difficult sometimes to reflect on needing to take the advice that we would give other people, ourselves, needing to take care of ourselves, and it can be trying to to go through something like someone passing away and not feel guilty for being uh, a survivor, that survivor's guilt that we have. And I know it's affecting quite a few of the people in this close-knit community that we have, kind of in my circles. Don't let that happen to you. Allow yourself to grieve, allow yourself to be happy, allow yourself to feel, as it were, and continue to support and uplift others and allow them to support and uplift you. I apologize for the vagary and perhaps dour tone that this episode took, uh, at least early on in the show, but it was something that was weighing on my heart and really and truly I've been impressed by the strength of, of the gaming community for years uh, and doubly so in the past year as they deal with real-world events. So cheers to all of you. Thank you for listening to the show, uh, and I look forward to really just continuing that discourse. Let's get to some news now. Well, thankfully, we were graced with yet another week of good gaming news and no rumor mill to have to circulate through this week's episode. And we owe much of that to the headlines made by EA this past week, who decided to put the final nail in the coffin to Anthem. The next Anthem project, or rather Anthem Next as it was called, the plan to revitalize Anthem has been scrapped. That large update that many of us were hoping for, expecting, or at the very least curious about 
uh, is no longer on its way, with Bioware Austin studio head Christian Daly uh, releasing a statement, as it were, in a blog post and talking about the effect of COVID-19 on the team's ability to work productively on a major update and the o- update and the overhaul that Anthem really needed in order to find its legs uh, in a in a no man's sky type way. It just wasn't conducive to the amount of work that needed to be done versus what they were trying to to make happen in uh, difficult times to make games, as it were. And I'll read a statement by him and then note a few other things that's going, that are going to be happening with that particular team. This quote coming from Christian Daly himself, quote, I know this will be disappointing to the community of Anthem players who have been excited to see the improvements we've been working on. It's also disappointing for the team who's, who are doing brilliant work. And for me personally, Anthem is what brought me to Bioware. And the last two years have been some of the most challenging and rewarding experiences of my career, end quote. Daily goes on to discuss the challenges of COVID-19 on the team, what, they, what it was they were trying to do, and where the team is going to be landing going forward. Uh, it was a Bloomberg article, and Jason Trier himself, who has had his finger on the pulse of Bioware, that first announced this information before the blog post went out. And it seems that much of the team that has been working on the, the Anthem Next, as it were, uh, is going to be moving on to Dragon Age and Mass Effect. This is a blow to people like me who really liked a lot of what Anthem had to offer. Uh, In particular, I would note, my favorite part of Anthem was flying around. I loved the way you would just get into that exosuit and run off a ledge and then power off and fly like Iron Man. Far better than than you play as Iron Man in the Avengers game, I might add. There were a lot of elements of Anthem that I thought were pretty standout and top-notch. I really liked the music and the sound design. I thought the world was beautiful, albeit a bit empty. And and, and in large part, it suffered from something I think a lot of games of service and looter shooters suffer from, the lack of endgame. But as a 30-hour or or maybe 20-hour, I should say, single-player experience, I had a blast with it. I played through a lot of missions, destroyed some monsters, really enjoyed upgrading my gear. But in large part... I just liked flying around and shooting things. That was the best. And uh, it seems to be that EA is now taking a lot of the lessons learned from Anthem and shifting over to a more single-player mentality away from games as a service. The success of games like Jedi Fallen Order and the failure of Anthem, and if I had to guess, the the outward look, you know, those are EA properties, Anthem and Fallen Order, but maybe looking at it at a game like Avengers and seeing the struggles that game as a service is having has allowed the team to shift away from multiplayer components uh, in its upcoming Dragon Age 4 to be a largely single-player experience. The aforementioned Jason Schreier report over at Bloomberg stated that the Dragon Age developers have been given the go-ahead to remove all planned multiplayer components of the RPG and make it a single-player-only game. And I would imagine this comes as a wonderful bevy of good news for a lot of Dragon Age fans, as the game is now going to be purely single-player. This means that a lot of the team's attention will no longer be divided into making a... Uh, games as a service or multiplayer elements, and they can strictly focus on building that fantasy world and that that controlled, or far more controlled, I should say, single-player experience. I'm equally thrilled by this, though I'm not a particular Dragon Age fan, because the growing trend of games as a service in lieu of single-player was really bothering me. I have no problem with games-as-a-service type games. I love Sea of Thieves. I love some of the many different games-as-a-service titles that I've played. That said, when they come at the expense of single player, 
I am, uh, I think, understandably frustrated. That's a bit of my qualm with the upcoming Gotham Knights, because as thrilled as I am for a new Batman-style title, a new Arkham-style game, I'm a little wary about playing it in co-op, and I'm not sure I'm overly thrilled to do that. The Arkham games have been largely a single-player experience for me. I played Anthem in largely single-player approaches. I love Jedi Fallen Order. The single-player element of games is very important to someone like me. And while I spend a great deal of time in multiplayer games, I never want that to be at the expense of single-player experiences. It seems that it's this lesson and sales numbers and engagement numbers that are pushing studios like EA, publishers like EA, I should say, back towards the single-player realm, seeing that, that a lot of what Sony's AAA success has given them in the single-player single experiences uh, is allowing that, not genre, I should say, but whatever that element of single-player games is, uh, to come back a little bit and have a bit of a comeback as they were fading away. I greatly wonder, and this, this is me kind of projecting a bit, I greatly wonder what's going to happen to the Suicide Squad game. And this is pertaining to a question that Todd Oxter wrote in. He said, Howdy, Luke. Your recent shows have been great. First of all, thank you, Todd. You are the man, and I look up to you greatly. He says, Do you expect any of the mechanics or tech from Anthem to be used in future Bioware or EA games? I can only imagine seeing awesome Iron Man War Machine game using that engine. Well, Todd, this, this kind of jumped me on a few branches, and I'll relate it to Suicide Squad momentarily. My hope is that we do see those flight mechanics from Anthem. We do hear some of that music design and sound design from Anthem make its way into other, other titles, and I think they would be foolish not to do just that. They seem to recognize the value of some of the winning components of Anthem, and they simply couldn't make other things work. And I think a lot of that also had to do with the patchwork job of the Frostbite engine to make a third-person style game. It just didn't land the way they wanted to. But they'd be foolish not to commit any, a certain amount of resources to bringing some of those really impressive flight mechanics into other titles. Uh, recently playing the Outriders demo, and we'll talk about it later in this episode, but I'm having a blast with it. That gameplay style is fun. Adding a flight element to a world like that or to a single-player experience would just be an absolute joy. And I, I share your hope and optimism that we would get an Iron Man or War Machine style game for that. Uh, similarly, I could see that with any other number of superheroes that take flight as a, a standard practice for their suite. So uh, here's hoping on that front, but I do think we've not seen the last of that element for EA. Now back to my bigger concept of games as a service and how we see it rippling into the industry. I have been notably skeptical of the upcoming Suicide Squad game from Rocksteady. As much as I love the DC Comics and their game properties, it really makes me wonder what they're thinking to do a game under the Suicide Squad brand in a service-style capacity like they're describing. It just doesn't seem to bode well for the future, particularly as we've seen so many continued service games fall short of where we, we hope they will be. They might try to take a middle ground like Outriders or Godfall, Borderlands perhaps, but I'm not sure... That's really the route they want to go either. In large part, I prefer those to be single-player or perhaps campaign-based co-op experiences. We don't need everything to be chasing that Destiny myth or that Sea of Thieves myth that, that certain games as a services have. I think that that genre is crowded enough in terms of successful properties. It is, it is difficult to have games that are, are so demanding upon your time 
proliferate and reach out to the wider gaming community at the expense of other other experiences. And that's a, a bigger concept that I would love to see metrics on. And I'm sure they've done research on this. But how many people play extensively, mind you, play multiplayer games that are beyond Call of Duty, Fortnite, and Destiny? You know, do we have people that progress their battle passes in all of those games and more on a regular basis? Because the amount of time that they have to invest into that doesn't seem to be practical. And, and I'm just shooting from the hip here. Maybe I'm way off, but I do not want to see more service-based games, but I'm fine with more, you know, linear or I should say co-op-based campaign experiences that can expand. If Suicide Squad is a campaign-based experience and not a live service game, yo, I'm down with that. Think think about Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. Those were games that I put hundreds of hours into, but I was playing the same missions over and over again, not in a quest for loot, but in a quest for better scores or time or just the experience to have it. If they could chase that feeling, I think there's more to it. Again, I'm shooting from the hip here. I have a lot of thoughts on on the downfall of Anthem, the shift from Mass Effect and Dragon Age over to single player, which I think a lot of people will be thrilled about. Uh, I think those games exist in a better place because of Anthem's failure, and I think the gaming industry has learned a lot from Anthem's failure I think they're probably learning that same lesson from Avengers right now, and there's a lot to take away from it, but uh, time will tell when it comes to this aspect. I, for one, am mourning the loss of Anthem just a bit. I did put over 100 hours into that game just because I loved flying around and being being larger than life, I suppose, in a a mysterious world, but I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge all the failures that, that Anthem had as far as what it promised versus what it delivered. That said, I thank the devs for making that game. I thank those that have put time into it, and I appreciate the lessons that have been learned from it in the gaming industry. A couple free games are going to be making your way if you're a Game Pass subscriber, or at least I should say a Game Pass Ultimate member. And of course, that comes by way of EA Play adding a few more titles to its upcoming March slate, along with games with gold, and I'll run them through with you. I should also note that EA Play is going through a few changes to itself. Its basic tier, 499 tier, is included in Game Pass Ultimate, and that is how I experience it. While there is a new, uh, I should suppose, tier to it, EA Play Pro at $14.99, a subscription service that is available through EA's desktop app and Origin. So for if you if you really want that, there's that exists there. But as Game Pass Ultimate members, you are subscribed to EA Play. Uh, that kind of basic bottom tier as an included bonus just for having ultimate. And of course you get games with gold in that as well. And you can you can weigh the validity of those two services as you like. But I have found ultimate to be a fantastic service. Um, and I think I'm cleared through 2023 at this point. I always buy it and stack it uh, for future just because I enjoy investing into that, that community and ecosystem. Nonetheless, the EA titles that are going to be coming to EA Play, thus Game Pass Ultimate, include Star Wars Squadrons, which I believe will be headlining that suite. Star Wars Squadrons released late last year, I want to say, or in the fall of last year, uh, perhaps is a better way to put that. And the game is a really cool homage to the old X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. It's a first-person cockpit shooter game. I fell off of it faster than I was expecting. I think I was hoping for more of a Rogue Squadron or Battlefront 2 style uh, flight game. That said, Squadrons is great and I think will benefit incredibly well from being in a subscription-based service because it is a multiplayer-focused game. There is a good single-player story there. If you're a Star Wars fan like myself, you can have a real good time with that that campaign and I encourage you to do so. You'll play as 
the Rebellion and the Empire, or I think it's First Order and Resistance, but you know, so it goes, whatever. It was fairly forgettable, but still fun, so take that how you like. But also, Madden 21 is going to be coming to the service, NHL 21 is coming to the service, uh, and I believe It Takes Two is making its way into... EA Pro. I'm going to have to double check on that one. I apologize for not having that readily available. But bottom line, I just want to note yet again that there is so much value in Game Pass Ultimate, and EA Play was a huge boost to that. The upcoming Mass Effect Legendary Edition is not included in there, but all the old Mass Effects are. The Dead Dead Space games are in there. Of course, you've got Jedi Fallen Order, and I don't know. I just can't sing the praises enough for that. Beyond the EA Play games that you'll be getting for free as an Ultimate member next month, you've also got games with gold titles, Warface Breakout, which is, uh, I think the easiest way to, to, to call it how you see it is a knockoff Call of Duty, but free to play if you are, are jumping into it in games with gold. Vicious Attack Llama Apocalypse, which is the coolest and worst name for a video game I've ever read, but really it's a twin stick shooter and I dig those. Metal Slug 3 and Point Port Royale 3 will be making its way there as well. So if you're strapped for cash but you're a subscriber to Game Pass Ultimate or Games with Gold or EA Play, you are are set for at least something new to play in that month. And there's uh, I think there's some good things to take away with that. You can celebrate that list pretty well. Squadrons is a good heavy hitter. Madden and NHL have their own audiences. And uh, the Games with Gold, yeah. That's, that's an argument for another time, but nonetheless, I, I know I'm going to be checking out Vicious Attack Llama just because I like Twin Sticks, but I will not argue that that is like some you know game-breaking, amazing thing to have. Let me know what you think. This is Paul Bettner, creator of New Super Lucky's Tale, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. The upcoming People Can Fly title published by Square Enix Outriders had its demo released this past weekend, and It's It's Jim wrote in on Twitter saying, Did you try the Outriders demo and what did you think of it? I like it and hopefully it doesn't become another Anthem. Well, the ghost of Anthem, I imagine, will haunt the industry for some time to come. But to answer your question, Jim, yes, I did try Outriders, and the truth is I'm really liking a lot of what I see. I will not pretend to say that it is a 10 out of 10 masterpiece. Of course, this demo encompasses the first part of the game, and many of the elements are still being worked on. But overall, I was fairly impressed with Outriders. People Can Fly have a mixed success rating in my book as far as uh, being very successful with Gears Judgment in, in terms of doing something a bit unique in the Gears universe. Bulletstorm had some really cool elements to it, though it uh, doesn't age very well in my opinion. But I've been very impressed with what I'm seeing from Outriders thus far, existing in that faux games as a service space because it's not a live service game uh, in the typical sense with an end game that is trying to mimic Destiny or Anthem, and yet it does kind of have elements to that. There are a lot of echoes as I played through it that reminded me of the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, the kind of that kind of horde mode, uh, third-person shooter element, and of course this feels a lot like Gears of War in some ways. Uh, and, and very much different in others. Very pleased with the cover mechanics and the guns. The guns, I think, feel fantastic. The powers thus far have been very unique, and I've seen some really great clips. In fact, my buddy Kevin Butler posted a wonderful clip just of him using the different classes and taking out you know, hordes of enemies at different points. I have been very impressed and pleased with the scale and scope at the beginning of the game. However, early on, it seems to narrow down and become very linear. 
that seems to betray the overall design that you're exposed to early on when you're first arriving to Enoch, which is the planet in which the game takes place. I like the world. I really like the premise that's going on there and how you get your powers. There's a lot of mystery to be explored. And it really does echo of Anthem in the good ways, in a lot of ways. Uh, it's interesting to know that you are kind of landlocked, like you're stuck down on the ground at all times, feeling very Gears of War, no real jump button, uh, or, or not, not a real jump mechanic that I would take advantage of. But there is a roadie run element. And uh, for me, the the bottom line is the gunplay has to feel good, and they nailed the gunplay. I loved moving from cover to cover, shooting down enemies, getting overpowered. This game feels like it's going to land and be a high 7, low 8, and it's going to have a dedicated community that's going to have a great old time with it, and you'll play it for... Uh, you know the the first six to eight six to eight months, and then if it doesn't get new content, it'll probably die out. But I think it would be a great investment for people to check out. I'm really liking it based on this demo so far, and I'm very curious to know what improvements or changes they have to the game after feedback from the demo. In particular, the shaky cam really bothers me during cutscenes. I've heard a lot of people discussing how it made them nauseous, and prior to my playing, I, I was a bit skeptical at that. Well, I played it early in the morning, I had just eaten breakfast, I jumped in, Gameplay doesn't do that at all, but then the cutscenes really do have a lot of shaky cam, and that made me absolutely sick to my stomach, and I did not enjoy it. I, in fact, I ended up skipping all the cutscenes after the first one, uh, first two, I should say, just because they, they made me ill, and I did not enjoy them. So uh, I think if they take that feedback and they heat it well, as we've seen them do so far, I mean, they delayed their game specifically so they could improve the experiences before it launches. I'm, I'm actually rather excited by this, and I wonder, because it is published by Square Enix, just how much the Avengers title and the way that that game released informed the way that, that Square Enix wants to publish Outriders. And I'm equally curious how much say People Can Fly have in that as well. So, uh, thus far, I'm excited for it. I think a lot of people are. It seems to be getting some good feedback overall with a couple glaring things that are standing out, shaky cam notwithstanding. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to Outriders. This has solidified me as a day one purchaser uh, of Outriders for sure. I like the demo. I'm looking forward to the game. And I'm curious if you guys are. Let me know on Twitter at InsipidGhost or you can email me insipidghost at gmail.com just like those in our upcoming segment, Listener Mail, did as well. Before we get to listener mail, I had a comment from a listener not too long ago that said I did a bad job at requesting people to share the show and rate it on iTunes and do all those standard content creator things that help a show grow. And so this is me making a conscious effort. If you are or do enjoy XEP, please take the time to go rate it over on iTunes. You can make an account on your PC if you'd like, if you're not an Apple user. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube, throw the likes down, sharing it on Twitter also helps a lot. Uh, I really do appreciate when you guys do that. It helps me as far as the reach of the show, but also the clout that comes involved when people see engagement numbers that I get to see on my side, but it makes it a bit more forward-facing, and that helps me get different interviews and the like. And we've had a really good string of interviews lately. David Bateson, uh, Celia Schilling from, from Yacht Club, and then Rihanna Manuel all graced our presence in the last three episodes, and they were fantastic guests, and I 
really took to heart a lot of the, the individual lessons that each offered us about the industry uh, going forward. And I actually think about them fairly regularly, if I'm being honest, particularly Rihanna's words uh, of kindness and acceptance and inclusivity uh, going forward. Those have been, I, I was just very proud of those particular interviews of late. Uh, and I'm lining up some more in the future. And again, I, I say, and I will double down on it, if you are enjoying the show, taking the time to review it is appreciated. All right, let's get to the first official question for this segment this week. This one came by way of email from Keith over in Toronto, Canada, and he said, Considering the news about Ubisoft making a Star Wars game, it led me to think about other franchises that need a game. For me, I would love to see an Inception game made by Remedy, a la Control, but a prequel to the movie or something, an open-world quasi-story game based on Jumanji, or a stealth action game based on Dexter. Your thoughts? Keith, that's a great question. That is a fantastic question, and thank you for emailing me. I appreciate that. Um, that is one that I have a lot of a lot of answers for, but they they feel like I feel like they all fall into the license category just by their nature. I love your idea of an Inception game uh, made by Remedy. I would really dig that. I don't know who I would choose for it, but I would I just would love to see a Matrix game uh, similar to Enter the Matrix and Path of Neo. I think those those the world of the Matrix is ripe for video game uh, enjoyment and a lot of ways to explore it. If any of you are, are old enough like me to remember, Enter the Matrix did something really special in which they filmed a number of scenes that didn't go into the movies Reloaded and Revolutions, but instead went into the game, and the game served to interlude the two movies together. Thus, you had like specific footage filmed for the game with the mainstay actors from the two movies. You followed Ghost and Niobe, and it was just a super cool thing to piece together the scenes from the game with the movies together, and you had a much longer viewing experience for those of you that loved The Matrix. And then the gameplay was, I mean, it was standard Matrix affair. You had third-person martial arts combat and, and gun-toting, uh, super cool gun slow-mo gameplay. I loved that. So my first answer to you is I, I really want something in the world of The Matrix. I, uh, Being a DC Comics nerd, I'm rewatching Titans right now, and I would absolutely love love, love, love a game based on Titans or perhaps some sort of Titans-specific DLC outfits or something like that in Gotham Knights. I think that would be a really cool thing to explore there. I always want to see my characters show up in Fortnite because I'm a big old dork there, but I'm thinking, I think Top Gun would be ripe for a great game made by the developers of, of Ace Combat, per se. I'd really love to see that happen. There are a couple space shooters that I think would be really wonderful to see, and I I'm veering here, but you know, I remember and think about often is that that Starfighter level from Halo Reach when Bungie was making Halo Reach. They created this incredibly cool space combat level that really went largely unexplored by a talented team. And I and I wonder what properties. I mean, Star Wars jumps to mind, but what other space properties would they lend themselves towards there? That would be really cool. Uh, to say the least. I'm watching Lie to Me right now. Burn Notice is always cool. Burn Notice would be a really fun game to, I suppose, just take into take into the world and, and play through that story with, with uh, Donovan's character there. That'd be kind of, something kind of neat. But that's a great question and one that I'm going to postulate a little bit more. And I'm curious what other listeners have. What games do you want based on film or uh, TV franchises that you would love to see there? That's a That's a fun one to just kind of play around with and see what we get. Good question. Thank you, Keith, for writing in. 
This next question comes from Lord James Suddy, and the truth is I don't know how to answer it. And so I'm really posing this question to the listeners so that I can solicit feedback. He says, I said I would ask it. Xbox family controls are top notch. I can keep track of what my kid is doing across Xbox and the Windows platform by app time and device. And yet they don't offer a family plan for Game Pass or Xbox Live. What avenues could take... Uh, what avenues could Xbox take to make their controls more family-friendly? Do you think they would introduce a family plan at some point? Do you think there is a first-party IP that that is family-friendly besides Super Lucky's Tale? Suddy, this is similar to a question Todd Oxter wrote in not too long ago, I believe, asking uh, something very much in line with what you were asking. And the simple fact is I'm ignorant to the answer because I haven't found the need in my years of Xbox gaming to worry about a family or share plan. I know that Adam and John from the Mega Dads have talked about it at various times on their podcasts, but there is a need for Xbox to develop and cultivate a family plan. It was something they wanted to offer at one point for Game Pass, and it just fell short in lieu of other, other I suppose, avenues that they were pursuing. But I think even Phil Spencer has commented on just that point. But I'm really extending your question to the other listeners of the show. Those of you with children or families or you operating on a, a, a sh- game-sharing style approach to your Xbox gaming, what does Xbox need to do there? They certainly should have an element of it uh, for a household because if someone's willing to go purchase an Xbox Series X, Series S, uh, multiple consoles for their household, they should be able to play in that same household. And that is beyond my technical knowledge for what they should, how they would verify that. But as a parent, you shouldn't have to have multiple Xbox Game Pass subscriptions. And now that I'm saying it like that, I feel like Paris Lilly also said something similar over on the Kind of Funny Xcast as well. Uh, but I'm curious what else the listeners need uh, or, or think we need. If you message me those, I will include them in next week's episode to answer Suddy's question uh, because it is a good one. It's just not one that I'm overly experienced or, or have needed to be experienced with thus far. But thank you, Suddy, for writing in, man. Um, the last question you asked was also, uh, do they have any family-friendly first-party IP besides Super Lucky's Tale? Quick note, Super Lucky's Tale is not first-party, though it did initially launch as an exclusive when it was just Super Lucky's Tale. Now now it's on everything. But yes, I think the Viva Pinata franchise is very family-friendly, and that has been dormant for some time. Not really my area. I think a lot of their family-friendly stuff was tied up with Kinect and the Kinect Adventure-style games, and those went the way of the Dodo. They do have IP they could cultivate or or things that exist in their slate, but as far as family-friendly, it is no surprise, and it is not a new request that they have something in the realm of a 3D platformer that is exclusive to their their uh, first-party brand, similar to the way Sony has Sackboy and Astrobot. Of course, <laughs> Nintendo has all of the other ones. Uh, Xbox certainly needs to have something. The problem is you get comparisons along the way, and so you need the right studio to do it. But good question, Suddy. Thank you for writing in. The last question this week comes from Elementopio over on Twitter, a regular listener of the show and somebody I enjoy seeing in my timeline. He says... Let's talk about how cool it is that MLB 21 is doing a tech test in and on Xbox and how Sony hasn't mentioned anything. I've seen more YouTube commercials pushing it for Xbox and more more than Sony for PS5. You've seen more for Xbox than you have for PS5. I see what you're saying. Many, uh, maybe an Xbox marketing deal. Is that possible? 
Element of PO, I don't think that is necessarily possible per se. The move for MLB The Show to end up on Xbox was not a Sony decision. That was MLB saying, yo, get this into as many places as possible because you have our license and we want to sell as many copies and help the brand grow more. So this was not a Sony decision. Now, as far as you seeing more YouTube commercials for Xbox than Sony, there might be something in place or, or an emphasis was put on showing it to Xbox users or to users that it was available on Xbox because that is a new thing. And it's fairly well established and known that MLB is available on Sony platforms. It could also be very much just your cookies and your data uh, showcasing and trending you towards Xbox properties and that those marketing and ad adverts are more effective on you as a consumer if they're Xbox based. I, I don't know that there is a marketing deal in place. I can't imagine Sony would be too keen on that as something that they would want. And I don't necessarily think that there's anything really there in terms of dirt or or fascination beyond the fact that it's great that it's coming to Xbox platforms. I don't think you should have sports or certain third-party uh, IP, Star Wars superhero stuff, uh, exclusive. I think that's actually a, a way to keep everybody from enjoyment and money made. So um, here's hoping that this MLB, the show, goes well on Xbox platforms. I know a lot of players are really thrilled by the prospects there. Uh, and as far as it being a first-party Sony thing publishing on another place... I find that to be a very good thing. I think we've seen Xbox do that and use it effectively to help their brand stay afloat as they retooled and reapproach this new generation. They've got a lot of things available on Switch. Of course, they continue to support Minecraft on all platforms. Uh, and I, this strikes me to be a good thing. I like this approach. Uh, and I hope that Sony's able to, as they bring their games into the PC space, do this more for Xbox users. In fact, I will note, I can't remember what game it was now that I'm saying it, but I noted several people on my my xbox live timeline playing things that i thought were previously sony specific but they were playing it on pc and so it, it populated uh, the data onto my xbox live and that was a really neat thing and uh, i think we need to tip our hats as well to sony for a a good showcase of the state of play this past week i won't say that it was you know the best showcase ever had but their state of play i thought was very solid and i would say to anybody that that might be raising eyebrows or getting frustrated with that I thought this state of play was very on par for the standard Xbox affairs that we've had in the last year and a half. This didn't feel like some major bombshell of a showcase, but very much like an inside Xbox or two that we have been privy to as well. I thought a lot of the games showcased were neat. I found one or two that I was interested in, in particular Sifu. And the PS news of PSVR 2 is good for the industry, though not personally interesting to me. Uh, and I like the idea that Sony is working to bring their games to PC as well. That's something that... Xbox fans can appreciate the the, uh, the change of pace for Sony there because that was something that they were perhaps ridiculed for being supportive of when Xbox started doing it themselves. And that's anyone that's really ridiculing a company for getting their game in more places and, and able to sell it more places, thus making more games and, and fueling the industry. That's just fanboy wars, and I don't have any interest in that. But I was very pleased with the news. Uh, I thought the state of play was fun, and I hope that you guys as gamers were able to find one or two games for yourself that you liked or looked forward to, uh, whether it was you know exclusive stuff in Sony or stuff that would be third-party uh, or rather, I should say, multi-platform going forward. Alrighty, guys. I've had a great old time chatting with you. Lots of good stuff to break down this week. I appreciate so many of you listening to the show. Thank you for sticking with me in three great weeks of interviews as well. I'm probably going to take a break or, for another week or two before seeking out more interviews to come. But uh, I've got some things in the works, as I always do. Feel free to rate the show over on iTunes or YouTube. Share it out to people that you think would be 
uh, would enjoy that kind of content, and I will catch you later. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe. Stay positive. Take care. Thank you.